Bible. the punks in pubs podcast my name is liam bird and thank you for listening to this podcast we have an excellent episode for you this week but before that i want to tell you about my experience at manchester punk festival punks in pubs was representing at the festival over the weekend over the easter weekend you can find out a little bit more about the festival if you like uh, go back and listen to the last episode episode 35 whereabouts we talk about manchester punk festival with the organizers of manchester punk festival <laughs> Uh, so while we were there, we conducted two live interviews. The first interview was actually with two uh, stand-up comedians who were at the show who happened to also be punk fans. They are Sully O'Sullivan and Red Redman. Great interviews if you like comedy and punk. And the second interview was with uh, Joe Tilston. You know Joe as the bassist and uh, singer in Random Hand. He's now following his destiny uh, as a folk singer. He's, he's got a great backstory with his family. He's so entrenched in the folk uh, music scene. It's crazy. Those interviews were conducted uh, at the festival. We had issues recording them live. The The idea was that I was going to record them and put them out as standard load episodes. I'm not going to do that anymore. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm just going to put them out. I'm thinking about putting one out next week. And then we'll have the regular episode that I've got planned. And then I'll put out another bonus episode next week. So I'm just going to kind of put them out there. Not as an episode number, just for you guys to listen to. Because of the issues with the audio, I kind of had to do it a bit guerrilla style. So the 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 interview itself isn't the most um, cleanest interview with audio, but it's not completely wrecked. So that's why I want to give it to you because the interviews I did conduct were great and we got some real good content. And uh, I'll put it out there. If you listen to it, you listen to it. If you don't, you don't. It is what it is. Also, thank you to the people who came down into a dark, dark bench basement in Manchester when it was beautiful weather. Thank you for coming down and listening to me waffle. Greatly appreciated. It was the first time we had done anything like this. It's a great experience for me. I'll learn from it. I'll get better, <laughs> as I've been trying to do with this podcast, continue to get better. Uh, the festival itself was a blast, and big up all the bands who were at the festival, all the bands who I saw, they just brought their A-game. No one was going through the motions, everyone was just fucking having a blast. Last thing I'm going to say about the festival is uh, a big thank you to all the guys and girls who give up their time eight months in advance to create this fantastic weekend of punk comedy and poetry and an all-round fucking great experience this this festival is a diy festival in the truest sense of the word 
working with their um, local businesses and working with um, underground bands and mainstream bands to bring about just a fucking amazing experience with a great vibe. Definitely go to Manchester Punk Festival 2020. 2020, fucking hell. Um, Early bird tickets for that festival will be going up around autumn. So keep an eye on the Manchester Punk Festival social media accounts or just follow Punks and Pubs as well. And we will obviously retweet anything that they put out. Anyway, let's talk about Punks and Pubs. Punks and Pubs will be going to Germany, uh, Berlin, in fact, in June to do a couple of interviews over there. To do that, we need to raise a little bit of money. Uh, We don't ask for handouts on Punks and Pubs, but what we do is that we ask for you to support the podcast by buying a Punks and Pubs t-shirt. They cost £15, and they can be purchased at uh, Etsy. Uh, Just type in Punks and Pubs in the search engine, and you'll see the t-shirt. Or you can drop me an email on punksandpubs at gmail.com, and you can pay by PayPal. I'm the one who's funding this podcast. It's only me who's doing this. Uh, I only have a finite amount of money that I can actually put into this podcast. And by buying a t-shirt, it really helps me with the overheads of the podcast and it also kind of shows me that you guys actually care about the podcast and what i'm doing because that's the reason why i'm doing this um i know you're listening because i can see the numbers it'd be great if you can support dig deep a little bit and help the podcast um be bigger and better and also by wearing the t-shirts you're also promoting the podcast which allows other people to come up to you and go hey man what's the podcast about and you go hey it's called punks and pubs it's about a fucking guy who did a podcast and now i just listen to it it's all right uh, and then the people who I interview then get a bigger audience and then the punk grows and we grow and we all grow together and that's the punk ethic for me is that we're all in it together we're all one big punk family we're all trying to fucking push this message that is punk whatever that may be to you because I'm not going to start getting into what punk means to me because that's a fucking dumb question <laughs> You didn't download this podcast to hear me rant about a question I don't like. You downloaded episode 36 of Punks and Pubs for this fine reason. Episode 36 is me in a bar in North London sat down having an alcoholic beverage with a good guy and the master of thrash metal. His name is Ryan Waste of Municipal Waste. I met Ryan back in late January, I think, and we sat down and we discussed all manners of shit, like the now infamous Trump t-shirt. We also talk about Mr. Pickles, the Adult Swim cartoon. Ryan relives a crazy story of a time uh, when he was a taxi driver in Richmond, Virginia. You do not want to miss that story. Uh, We talk about scrapping albums. We talk about killing new metal. And I push Ryan on how a metal kid with long hair falls in with a crowd of skinhead hardcore crews uh, we of course talk about the waste we also talk about ryan's other band bat and music in general but i also dig into ryan's other loves that are um, horror and comedy we end the podcast with ryan sharing a story with me uh, about my old boss mike davies of the radio on punk rock show i never heard this story it's great to hear it is a, it is a proper nice little moment to end the podcast as always your band close out the show and this week it's a band from the city of angels los angeles and they are called cc potato and they are worth sticking around for i said that without real conviction they really are good (laughs) definitely stick around for them uh but before that there is this good people of punk i present to you episode 36 with me and ryan waste i will talk to you after this chat enjoy Oh, the way that it's a terrorist tonight. 
are propped up in a bar uh, next to the Astoria, and across from me is a man who is metal as fuck. <laughs> His name's Ryan Waste. Can you hear me, by the way? Yeah, I can yeah. hear you. You might need to speak up a little bit. Okay, because obviously I've got my cans on, so I'm yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're playing like a, a hardcore day and which is quite rare now in the UK. Uh, there are not really that many around. For you as a band, do you enjoy them? Can you like, like hang around and that either means early drinking or just hanging in the bus? I really don't like to do anything early. I'm, I'm a night person, so I, I do most of my hanging out and thinking, creating at night. And I don't really even like to talk to people until about 2 p.m., so you just made the cut on that. <laughs> We've got a threshold in there. Yeah. Um, so, as always, I like to try and bring a gift for the people I'm talking to. And The cider's cider gift number and one. also this, man. I'm sure you've already seen it before. Should I open it now? Yeah, go for it, man. You, you put down the mic. the mic or something? Yeah. Oh, I can already see the Iron Maiden logo. See, I'm sure you've, if you've been in the UK, you've definitely had a pint of this before. Yeah, the trooper. It's good old trooper, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's just like an easy drink and like, uh, it's basically like a lager, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you got that, and I thought. Great. Thanks, man. This isn't wrapped up, but it is cold. I thought a very British one. It's Earl Grey beer. Baron. Earl, oh, Earl Grey. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love the tea. My, my girl loves it. She's got a candle that's uh, Earl Grey, and we burn it, so maybe I'll give this to her. There you go. Killer, Gifts all around, man. Thanks a lot, buddy. So, so can you remember the first time you actually had your first beer? Yeah, I think I had like uh, stole one of my dad's beers. It was probably like a Miller Genuine Draft, which you don't see so much. You know, you see a lot of high life, but um, yeah, MGD, as I would say. You know, I started drinking pretty young. You know, I kind of ran with a more delinquent crowd, and we would go and do this thing called shoulder tapping, where you just go to a gas station and tap someone that's old enough to buy you beer, and then. Go drink it under a bridge somewhere. Yeah. So it wasn't like drinking with your family first. It was drinking no, with your friends. No, they, they weren't big partiers, so I had to go kind of find that on my own. What was the, like, the, the, the culture around drinking? Because I'm always fascinated with how people got introduced into alcohol. Was it like, oh, let's drink and be a bit radical and a bit crazy? Or was it, let's drink to find out what it tastes like? We, we would drink just to get as you know inebriated as possible, at a, a, starting at a young age. So, I mean... I definitely had some bad experiences where you you know you don't realize like you're drinking hard liquor in the middle of the day like gin or something just straight and then next thing you know you're you're in the in the woods just puking your guts out and I mean I had all the experiences early on so I, I became a seasoned professional pretty young. So was it? Did you grow up in Richmond, Virginia? Then? No, Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is more southeast on the coast. It's a long stretch of beach, so it's a real like a real tourist town. Yeah, but like you know really trashy too at the same time and you know not much of a music scene so the minute i turned 18 i, I got the hell out of there so moved to it, richmond so is it one of those towns where about during the season a lot of people then when it yeah over the closed. summer and it's just fights and dickheads and shit you know yeah, it's yeah. not it's uh i go back because i have family there there's nowhere i would really uh choose to live so with music was it the same with your friends with drinking was it your friends who well we well it's funny it's like um we were like the few metalheads in our school. They called us grits, which was like a you know I guess it was only like an East Coast term because I never really heard anywhere else. And uh, you know we we smoked weed and you know listened to heavy metal and there was like a small group of us and you know no one really messed with us but we were kind of outcasts obviously at the same time. My friends had a band and that's what got me wanting to play music. They, they were pretty talented for being uh, you know their age and I you know made me get a bass and just to try to join their band. But of course I never got in. But just kept going yeah 
So what was it about metal then? Why did metal grab your attention? Well, me and my brother got into it early on. I think it was just, you know, the aggression, the just like cutting loose and just getting away from the norm of society. Just you know, It seemed like it fit with like our outcast behavior. So was it something you heard on TV or radio or... Um, but like we were listening to a lot of tapes back then, so it would be tape trading, like cassettes. And my brother would come home with some stuff. We'd even go to the library and rent rent cassettes. And, Which and prefer double. older, younger? He's older, yeah, two older, years yeah, older. Yeah, yeah. And then I I got so deep into it, I surpassed him and was was digging and finding stuff. We got into records and never stopped. I'm I'm still an avid uh, collector. Like mm. I I DJ records and you know never stopped. I'm just as much of a fan as I am a performer. You know? So, so what was it about like records then? Why, why, why not tapes? Because well, tapes, you know, you, like it's funny because you know t- records were first, but like you know when you're younger, tapes was portable and you could have a Walkman and go around with it. And then I then I found a love for vinyl in like my mid to late teens and just having the big artwork and being able to hold it seems like something tangible, you know, yeah. something you you could just grip onto. And artwork was a big thing that that drew drew me to metal as well. We're going to talk a little bit about our work later on because of course, like, your you band. Know, we got yeah. Eddie right here. Exactly. So what? So what I'm trying to understand is how did like a self-proclaimed metalhead all of a sudden find hardcore? Like, what was it? A show that you went to where it was like a, a mixed yeah, bill? We, um, you know, I had some friends that would go into Norfolk, which was more like the inner city from Virginia Beach, and they had these DIY hardcore shows, and I was probably the only long-haired person there. And it was cool. It was a real transitional moment for me where you could see people putting on a show. It wasn't a concert. There weren't tickets. You could go there and see bands. And the kids were like my age playing, you know. And a, a couple of my friends had a band um, called Blade Crasher. And they were just like go all out. People would be jumping off the stage and, and a lot of like interaction with the crowd. I, I think that had a big effect over me. I'm still friends with the guys to this day. And, you know, they're, they're not doing much musically. But I think it inspired me that you know it didn't have to be you know there wasn't a real separation for metal and hardcore at least for me because everyone kind of accepted me there and it wasn't um, it wasn't pretentious it was just real stripped down it was like these, this place called the basement and people would just go crazy of course I'm, I'm drinking a 40 and it's all these straight edge guys there but for some reason you know they, they didn't mess with me I don't know it was cool I could have probably had the whole show shut down being like a 14 year old kid drinking a 40 ounce but you know, it's, it's, it's a real coming up period for me. And I, I took what I knew from metal and learning about hardcore and I kind of just blended it all in together, you know, when I came up with the waste. So what about with, like, the political aspect of hardcore? Because I'm going to guess at metal, because I'm not a metal kid. I, I, yeah. I, I, like, I grew up with, like, Meatloaf. That was probably as heavy Meatloaf's as Meatloaf's good. Meatloaf's very theatrical. It's almost metal, I feel I, like. I fucking love Meatloaf, man. Um, but it was, like, for me, the thing that kind of attacked, like, hardcore, the first hardcore show I went to was actually how political it was. So, like, politi- how politics played a show, uh, its part in, like, going to a show? Mm-hmm. Was that the same for you, like, the difference between a metal show and a hardcore show? I, I didn't run into a lot of the politics stuff till I moved to Richmond, and, and you would see bands, um, I hate to say preach, but it, it seems like it sometimes, you know? And with The Waste, we were never about that. We we saw so much of that coming up, and people seemed so uptight that we, we wanted to have fun and just play music, you know? And I think that's what set, set us apart from a lot of the hardcore bands we played with. And we would, like, make fun of it, you know? And But, I mean, you kind of get older and you, you want to take a political stance. Like, you know, what's going on in the country right now is horrible, you know? So, of course, we have our shirt with Trump blowing his brains out. 
again, that sums it up right there. I don't like to get into it because it's just a mess right now, but people know where, our, where we stand with that. So how did you make the jump? How did you decide then that I, I'm going to pin my mass down the, the metal metal fresh route rather than going into a punk hardcore music or did you well we just blended it together I mean yeah. we never we never took one side like the, the beauty of, the beauty of uh, crossover and what we play it's it's the, I think it's the best of both worlds you know you have a more hardcore punk attitude with metallic riffs you know and it, it's just like you're not rock stars you, you keep it on a punk level real grounded but you know you, you, maybe you know how to play your songs yeah <laughs> so when you are playing like a mixed bill like you are tonight do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy? We thrive on that. Yeah. yeah. Like even when we put a tour together, we never just take all thrash metal bands. Like we actually have never done that. We'll bring a punk band, a heavy metal band, so, you know, hard rock, and just mix it up because there's nothing worse than seeing the same type of music over and over again all night. Yeah. So uh, diverse bills like our favorite thing to be a part of. So how did you end up meeting Tony then? Tony, I mean, Richmond's a small town, so I mean, he was in a band called uh, JRS that. Um, I used to see in basements, and I, you know, he was a little older than me, and I always like thought he was a really good front man. And I, I had this idea for Municipal Waste. I was working with a drummer. He actually moved to California, and we had talked about maybe doing a band, but he moved to California, and he came back, and I had the waste going already, and he had started up another similar project that you know didn't really come to fruition. And I had the waste, and he was like the only guy that knew about the waste, and I was like, hey, why don't you just sing for us? Just combined forces, you know, and it just came pretty organically, you know. There wasn't a lot of people doing that music at the time. It was like it was either like hardcore or like straight edge hardcore in the town, or just like emo indie rock yeah. stuff. There wasn't a lot of metal or. So what year was this? Punk. This is two thousand. Okay. So, so you know, new metal was happening, and I I made a point to crush all that because this shit was ridiculous. Not it's not metal. It's it's a disgrace, really. You know, so. We came out to get rid of that. <laughs> Have you played any bills with new metal shows? I'm sure you Only must have. festivals in, you know, in Europe. And I mean, I, I have a good sense of humor. I look at that stuff as comedy, and I will watch a show and just laugh my ass off. So sometimes it's funnier to, to see that shit. Like, we played with, like, Limp Biscuit and bands like that. And sometimes it's, like, the funniest shit. You're just, like, it's just a whole different level of stupidity. <laughs> Richmond, Virginia is quite small. It still is. It's a small community. The music community, everyone knows each other. And it's, it's not pretentious, you know. I mean, there's people that are 
and Guar and you know other bands that are really doing well for themselves. But it's a, it's a it's a cheap town to live in if you want to be an artist. You can still you know own a house and live off music, which is a very rare thing. You know, I say, is it like the, just the people are more open to going to a show? Yeah, I mean, there's shows every night. I mean, a lot goes on in such a small town. I mean, the the arts and music scene is so thriving, it's, it's never a dull moment. So it seems like a big city, but it's just, you know, you can walk everywhere. It's pretty yeah. incredible. So you were playing, how, so how long were you playing as a band until you started stepping out from Virginia? We went on tour right out of the gate. I mean, we, we jumped in a van, you know, after our first show on, on New Year's Eve 2000, 2001. And we, and we just went down to florida and then we would just jump and jump on tours jump on shows and we just kind of hit the ground running you know we did two u.s tours uh we came over to europe in 2004 for the first time signed to earache which is out of the uk and that really brought our following uh to another level over here in uh in england and um it's still one of our best like markets to play yeah i hate sounding like market you know but you know what i mean people get it here and um, you know so we really appreciate that we always want to come back so I mean yeah like it only took about three or four years since we were a band to like really get moving and we just have never stopped I think that's what uh, the secret to our success is we never really slowed down and do you feel because you did just head first go at it like you make your own mistakes on the way yeah and it flew by I mean I, I call it time traveling man I mean we've been a band almost 20 years now and it's just like <laughs> it just went by so fast. Seems like yesterday. To not sound cliche, you know. The, what was the moment then that you were all together, you were playing, and you went, "We're actually onto something here." Like, can you remember when you say, were on? Say the question can, again. Can you remember like when you were on stage and you were all like playing to a crowd and you thought, "Fuck, okay, we're actually onto something good here. This isn't just a fuck around bound in Virginia. This is actually legit. This could be something." Yeah, I mean, it happened so organically. I mean, our first show was at a house, and people just started jumping all over each other. Like, from the first note, I think it had been something that had been unleashed in people that they that, that they were lacking, you know? I mean, I'm not saying we, we were great right out of the gate. I mean, we were, you know, this first band I ever played guitar in, you know? I was just, just kind of making it up as I went. And, I mean, once we, once we got Dave and Phil, like, around 2004, 2005... That's what it became. It seemed to become more professional. You know, we were, you know, we were on a, a legit label and um, touring. We were doing more world touring, and then like we came back with money in your pocket for once, and you're like, "Wow, we could really do this." This is because we had no management, and we weren't paying anyone anything. We were just doing it ourselves, and and then we saw the pound doubled our money when we came back. <laughs> we were like, "Wow." And it's not just about the money, you know, but it, it was a really eye-opening experience, you know, to come back. It was like the second European tour. The first one, we lost our ass. Yeah. You kind of have to do that, do a DIY run, and, and just, uh, you work for beer, basically, which we were fine with at that point in our career. Well, you kind of mentioned the fact that um, when, when Dave and... Um, Phil and Dave, yeah. yeah when, when, when they joined, uh, you said that the band kind of really took off, but you already had that momentum. So was it a bit disappointing when two members did leave? Well... It was a real shame because my best friend was a bass player, and he he left because he had to get off drugs. You know, he was having, a, and he's doing great now. He's a he's a teacher. He's like ten years sober, awesome. still one of my best friends. And then uh, our drummer passed away years after, who had left, and he was just kind of on a spiral, heading down. You know, drugs as well eventually, and it's just a real shame. You know, I mean, so they wouldn't have been able to make it to the level that we got at, but we already. 
the, the charm was there and the energy was there. And the, yeah. we, we had established what municipal waste was with our old lineup, and the new guys came in and just brought a sense of professionalism that we, me and Tony had, but we were still just kind of having fun. But it kind of whipped us into shape a little bit, at least Dave, because Dave is older and, you know, had, had been in a lot of uh, touring bands and just kind of whipped us into shape a little bit. So with that then, you kind of spoke about how the band were enjoying themselves, having a laugh. Yeah. Because with hardcore, it does have that kind of macho image. Mm-hmm. And I feel something that, if I was going to introduce anyone to a hardcore crossover band, it would be yours. Because oh, it you. is fun. And I feel music should be fun. But if you sometimes if you go to a hardcore show, it can just be full of pretentious, big fucking people who just want to punch people in the face because and, that's what they believe they should be and doing. And we're running into some of that on this tour and you, you just got to shake them up a little bit yeah. and let them have fun. Yeah, I mean, that, that was been the goal, you know, just since the get-go. You know, let's just like, it's entertainment, you know. There's no tough guy image. You know, we, if we see a fight, we'll stop the show and make fun of them until they feel stupid about themselves, you know. What about bands though? Because bands are also like that. Bands can also come out, like hardcore bands can be like really serious and, and feel like like we shouldn't be having fun like this is this is a job and we've got a message and all that kind that of sounds stuff. horrible <laughs> it, of course it does but like you you must have toured with them so are you like as more now like the veterans like you said 20 years has passed do you hand down the image or do you just like go oh, look well, you, you know what's force. funny is even bands like that off stage they have fun like there's a lot that goes on that's not you know that people don't see like you know we, we'll, we'll sit and hang out with the straight edge band have the time of our lives just joking around you know it's not about, you know, drinking or not drinking or your politics. Like, I think when you share that camaraderie of being on the road and, you know, doing this day in, day out, and it's like, it's not always easy. And, you know, you got to have some laughs, you know, on and off the stage. So we've toured with all types of bands, and you'd be surprised who's more fun than, you know. And sometimes it's the band that puts on this party image. They're on their phones, and they're being nerds when they get backstage. <laughs> you know, so, you know, you'd be real surprised. For me, and I think from when I was working on the punk show, it, it was um, the art of partying, yeah. which seemed to really like bring people into the band that probably wouldn't have realised that you you were around before. Yeah. Why do you think that album in particular is kind of like an entry? Well, people call that our breakthrough record, and I think it, it definitely was for, um, I guess, popularity. It's, it, definitely over here. I mean, the label was really pushing it. They almost pushed the party image too much to where we got sick of it, where it was like, you know, a goofy thing that we didn't. There's a fine line with that, with clever and stupid, you know, as they say. So we, um, you know, we embraced it, but a a lot of it was the label pushing that. I mean, yeah, we had an album called The Art of Party, so we dug our own grave with that. But uh, the label pushed it a little too hard, and I think it got a little out of hand but I mean people, you know hey if that's where people found out about the band then you know more power to it like you said like the label really pushed like the goofy drunken image was that something you were like very aware of like did you feel like people weren't taking you seriously enough or were you like oh like okay we're, we let's just fucking do this to sell records well you kind of have to embrace it I mean we, we did um, a record after Art of Party called Massive Aggressive and it was supposed to be our quote unquote uh, serious record and I mean and that was like kind of a you know tongue-in-cheek too it's like we never got serious yeah i mean we replaced we're serious about our songwriting of course but like 
we're having fun. But I mean, it, it's weird, man. You know, you really just need to create press for yourself. So they go, oh, this is your, this is your growing up, and this is your serious record. Oh, that's your party record. I mean, really, the press just needs something to talk about. Yeah. So how do you find doing interviews? Then do you enjoy it? Do you find it? Uh, a bit it's a bit like this. I, I enjoy like because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and then. It's about music or something interesting. I'm all about it. You know, I have no problem talking to people. When you get the same question over and over again, it gets a little mundane. Yeah. But um, you know, how's the tour going? It's yeah. <laughs> no, what's the craziest things that ever happened on tour? That's always our favorite. You're not just make up something. This isn't bad. I haven't had to do a lot of interviews on tour. I'm, I'm a little sick right now, but it's the last day. I'm happy to be in London. So you gave me a cider. I mean, I can't complain. And a and a couple of beer uh, presents, maiden beer. Take them on. You were known for a band who was banging out albums two years every album and then you went on a little stint for five years and I, I've, I've seen interviews where basically spoke about that you created an album and then just scrapped it mm-hmm. and then you, you, you released your album in doing that there's money behind that and then there's also creativity that's gone through that was that as because in, in, in the interviews it sounds like it was quite an easy decision but was it really that easy I think we really needed a break we were um, going 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 non-stop touring and Every time we would have a tour cycle, we'd be writing an album in between it, recording it, listening to mixes on the road and mastering, and like sometimes stuff would go wrong, and, and we were just feel like we were rushing sometimes. So I, I think part of it, besides scrapping the record, which is true, we, we came back, some of the songs made it through, got reworked, and some riffs were kept, but uh, a lot of it just like we felt too rushed before, and, it, and the label wasn't breathing down our neck to put it out, so we just took our time, you know? This stuff wears on you, you know. It's, people think it's a pretty easy gig, but I mean, it's like nonstop. So we kind of just took our time and wrote it, and we were happier with the record, you know, because we waited actually. Yeah. And then we got an EP we we just finished too, so we're coming out with something even sooner after this. Plus, we got Nick on board, you know, my best friend who's playing second guitar now, and we could write stuff for two guitars now, which we couldn't before. So that came into play as well. So someone who's not. I'm not musically talented at all. Yeah. So when you get a second guitarist, do you feel kind of like a bit of weight off your shoulders? Oh, for sure. I mean, he's going to be more of the lead guitar player. Like, I, I always grew up playing bass and just rhythm guitar parts. I never fancied myself as like a virtuoso lead guitar player. So just having that element now is great. Yeah. Because I can just kick it over to him. But um, we just lock in together. We're, we're used. We play in bat and we play in vulture together. We're we're used to playing. So our, our our instruments just lock in without thinking, really. Simple transition. A bit of a taboo subject, because you're a band who has toured and toured and toured. I don't know if you mind talking about pay-to-play bands. Oh, yeah, we're completely against it. Because I don't think it's spoken about enough in music journalism or, or podcasts. Yeah, probably not. Because people just presume that a band are invited to come and play from, from the headliner, and then everyone's a big happy family, which isn't the case. No. So... Have you been have you been forced a band to play on your bill? I'm not asking to name names. No, check this out. We have in our contract that we won't play with the pay to play bands. Okay. We don't. We we absolutely don't do it. So how do you stop it then? How do, how do bands stop it from happening? Put it in your contract, like us. Like we like in in the U S. Especially, they try to do that all the time, and you know it's in it's in our um, our booking agents uh, deal that we don't do it because you just get this band that's you know out of touch and you know. If that's how you get, you know, people to get to your music, that's fine. Do it on your own time. We're, we're not down with it. You know? Yeah. Is it's it... usually these promoters that are just trying to make a buck and making people sell tickets. You know, you feel you actually feel bad for the band. It's really the promoter. It's just like 
not in touch with the music scene, can't promote, so he just gets some band to, to yeah. foot some of the bill. I think it's really sad. I mean, music scene is a small industry as well. Everyone knows everyone, usually. Yeah. So what about those bands that are known to, for being pay-to-play? Do they get a stigma? But like you said, it's not their really fault. It's not no really one knows fault. who they. No one's never gonna know who they are because yeah. they, they they're broke and then they stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> They've gone. Um, so slightly off topic. Yeah. Mr. Pickles. Okay. I fucking love Mr. Pickles, right and you guys did a tour promoting Mr. Pickles yeah. the, the new season. How the fuck did that happen? Well, I'm very close friends. Uh, actually, we all are with uh, the creators of that show. They're from Richmond. Oh, really? Okay, they did yeah. our first, first music video, Unleash the Bastards, is uh, Will and Dave. They had a company called Day by Day. They moved from Richmond to L.A., pitched a bunch of shows, and that was the show that stuck, Mr. Pickles. And um, we had actually, they had asked us to do stuff a while back. That, that one just kind of fell into place, even before Exodus was on it. And we were like, yeah, we'll do a tour. Let's promote it through Adult Swim. And they go, oh, yeah, and Exodus is on it, too. So we're just like... Even better, because that's like our favorite band to play with and tour with, you know. So, yeah, it was just an all-around good situation, you know. It got promoted on a different level. I think we helped their show. They helped our band. Uh, they even uh, put my other band, Bat, is on uh, Mr. Pickles, the third season. Oh, really? Music. And, yeah, and I got a lot of YouTube uh, hits from that. They're like, we came here because of Mr. Pickles. I like that people comment, they have to tell me that. <laughs> but it's nice. It knows, that it knows that it works, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cross-promotion. So is that your, is that like your your vibe for comedy, like the Adult Swim kind of stuff? Uh, some of that stuff. I like the like some of the absurd stuff, like the Tim and Eric stuff. I really like. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not crazy about uh, cartoons, but as far as that goes, that, that's some of the best stuff. And it's my friends doing it, so you know I totally support it. So what about comedy? Like, are you? I, I'm a huge comedy fan. Real awesome stand-up. So who who are you? Um, I love Stephen Wright. Like we're gonna go old school. Yeah. Like real dry, monotone, joke after joke. Uh, the newer guy named John Daly. I really like. Um, this dude Tom Segura is like a good new one. I love. I love the old British comedy too. Monty Python and uh, Bo Selecta and like Little Britain and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. We could go on and on about comedy. Well, just because I'm, I'm myself, I'm a huge comedy fan, Same. and uh, one of my bucket lists is to do a uh, like an open mic and have a crack. I think you could do it, man. Well, you're very kind. You I don't think I can. I'm, I'm looking at you with a mic in your face right now. It looks natural, <laughs> man. <laughs> just, just like a joke is what you're saying yeah. to me right there. It's hilarious. Is that something you would ever do? I've done it before. Have I, you? I, I've, uh, I just got up there. I mean, it's like we um, we would go to these uh, the comedy store in L.A. And um, they, I don't know. I don't know if you want to hear a long story. No, go for it, man. But um, we went to the Jimmy Kimmel show, and there's like the guy who's our warm-up guy in between. It's like Don... Uh, Don Barris, and he's like, a, he, this is, he called it his Disney job because he's doing it during the day, but he's like a filthy comic at night. And we were yelling out all this stuff at him, and it's just a bunch of us with long hair and beards in the crowd. He's like, yeah, come to our comedy night. I'll get you in later. you know. And so we went to basically a comedy store, saw these up-and-coming comics, some, some regular celebrities that work on their act there and stuff. And we stayed to the end. And I guess he closes the night out, and he didn't have a backup band didn't show up, so he got us to come on stage with like guitar hero guitars. And I, I played, uh, I played drums on a um, three stools with drumsticks, and like he was covering like Phil Collins and like Air Tonight came on, and I had to do that big drum solo, yeah. and he would like make the lyrics dirty and stuff. But I, I played drums so hard that I woke up the next day and I couldn't move my arms. <laughs> like I pulled like a tendon or something. We were on like a couple of days off on tour. And I just overexerted myself uh, drunk at a comedy club. 
play is, the school is that what you drums. put out as like a press statement? <laughs> yeah. You can't do it. Yeah, press <laughs> so what about actually standing up then and doing jokes? Uh, doing a comedy show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, we also all had to go up and tell a joke. So how did you thing. find that? Because I, I, it, it could be terrifying. I mean, I guess if you're drunk, it's not so much. But I mean, I have the utmost respect for comics because I mean, I'm always standing up there with a guitar in my hands. So I can make noise and tell a joke. It, it's nice to have a. I hate to say a prop, but uh, another element to it. Well, you've got something kind of blocking you and the audience. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, the way show is almost like a comedy show. I mean, in the UK they get it. I mean, we're in Europe. We we kind of slow the jokes down a little bit in Europe because a lot of it gets lost in translation. But I mean, we just go up there and we riff. I mean, it's all it's all ad lib, you know. Mm-hmm. I know that's a huge, huge huge fan. I'm actually writing a a heavy metal horror movie. Okay. I've been writing a script for the last three years, and I've got some backing, and I got a a partner. The guy that did the last uh, Municipal Waste music video, this guy Norman Cabrera, is teaming up with me. But I've had this script, and I actually uh, worked with a guy who's Scottish. He used to edit for The Guardian. My uh, friend Jamie Thompson and I put it to a screenplay. Like, I've, I've had the story for years, I've had the outline. I started writing. I teamed up with this partner, and like we just hit the ground running. So I mean, it's basically finished. And now I'm kind of putting the ice on the cake with um, this effects guy who's who's going to help me direct it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's it's a lofty, ambitious project, but um, something that I want to pull off at least once. So why horror? Make this then? film. What is it you like about horror? Well, I like any horror movie that that has heavy metal in it. Like so that like you got movies like Black Roses or Trick or Treat, or Shock of Dead, Rocktober Blood. Anything that's got like a, a band in it, yeah, and you know, and a slasher feel is just like, I think for a lot of metalheads, it's like what they crave. So if I just did a movie that had that the whole time, I think it would appeal to a lot of people. Well, I know it will, but um, I don't know. I think it's I think horror is funny. I don't know. I don't. It doesn't. It's it's not scary to me. You know. Yeah. So you've never I can separate the movie from it, and I think it's cool to to have. I'm okay. Thanks. This guy's trying to buy me a shot. I um. I find comedy and, and, and horror, you know. So have you never been scared by a horror movie then? No, I'm not saying I haven't been scared. It's more like the intellectual uh, movies that make you use your imagination, like Exorcist or yeah. something that a window is scary, you know, or like the unknowing, like, you know, basically is. But just like a slasher movie, no. I like a lot of Italian horror too. I think it's real tasteful, Argento mm. and all that stuff, so... So can you remember the first horror movie you watched? I mean, like, you may be too young to watch that movie, and it's kind of, like, stayed with you. I remember, it's not the first one I ever watched, but I remember seeing Nightbreed when I was really young. And that's got, like, the Cronenberg scene where, like, he's, he's the murderer, and he, he kills his whole family. Not his family, he kills a family. And I, I remember that still being eerie, and that still holds up. But then the movie itself is kind of campy and, and uh, a little goofy if yeah. you watch it now. But I remember watching that right when it came out, and... Uh, 
being affected by that. It's still a cool movie, Nightbreed. So would you act in it? Is that something that you, you have any interest in? Because I know you do a vlog as well. Like you're, uh, Is it Live Fast? Living Fast, yeah. yeah. That's, that's more... Um, man, yeah, I've, I've done that for about five years, but it's really hard to pump out episodes because I'm on tour most of the year. And um, But man, yeah, I've, I had a lot of fun doing that. Like I, I could take that into a horror angle, but it's more about like old heavy metal and, and records and just kind of throwing it all together people really responded well to it I just wish I had more time on my hands to make more of them what do you make into a podcast I thought of doing that but I, I, I honestly that takes just as much time yeah so I did a radio version of it and it took more time and I just couldn't do one every week or every month I mean I, I think that's more, most of my focus is to go into this film more than anything I mean something from, from watching some of the episodes that you did uh, the last one you did you kind of revealed that you also you worked as a cab driver for a little while just to make a little bit of cash. Yeah, that was crazy. Do you think fucked up job? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say what is, in Richmond, Virginia. I was going to say because I feel cab drivers see the best and worst of the world. Well, here's what I should do a podcast of, and I, I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to get in trouble now because we're in the UK, wherever. But I, I recorded a lot of my cab uh, sessions, <laughs> really? and I think that would make a really good podcast because I had a lot of repeat offenders that were insane. And you just know when someone's going to get in there and they want to talk, and then you end up picking them up again, and I already had the tape rolling. <laughs> so, I don't know. Hopefully I don't get in trouble for that. Were, were you a talker then? Were you, or oh, would I would you talk quite? it up. I would, yeah. I would just egg them on. To, to, <laughs> some of them didn't need any help at all. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that time you murdered that woman. Oh, I mean, that would make a good podcast. I still might do that one day. Your, your own murder mystery yeah. of did they do it? Well, I did drive it? a murderer away from the scene one time. Like, uh, there was like, <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. Like, I got a call from a detective. Like, it's like right when I got the job. Like at this, um, it, I don't know. I feel like I'm doing confessions on there. Maybe I've, I've put this in <laughs> writing before, but just know that a guy just committed double homicide and I gave him a ride, and I didn't realize that till after the fact. Fuck, did Pain you read customer? So did you read it? Like, would you read it in like a newspaper? Like, no, I, 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 was, I was contacted by the detectives. Oh, okay, yeah. And they just said, can you take this guy to A to B? And I go, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> Fuck, I don't want to be involved. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't blame me. Don't blame and me. And I saw a drive-by, and that was the other craziest one. The drive-by shooting right behind me. And I was like, wow, is it worth it? I mean, <laughs> it's the money. Where, I mean, it's not that it was great money to begin with. It was just what I was doing to get by. But wow, it really opens your eyes, man. Let's talk about something a bit more positive. Okay. And you kind of said Bat. Let's talk a little Bat. Because Bat was a band that I didn't know about until literally two days ago. Oh, really? Oh, because you had to research me yeah, a little bit? Yeah, so I was oh, researching yeah. a little bit. And, I, and um, uh, there's a track. Uh, I need to look at my notes because I'm not going to read sure. it off. Uh, is it Way of the Bat? No, uh, Beware of the Bat? Beware of the... That's me yeah. not putting the B in. Well, I... Um, it's just... The song is actually called Bat, but the video... I wrote because we did a music video for it. I, yeah. I changed it to "Beware of the Bat" just so you could search it. Okay, so you go bat, bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go find you go find a baseball bat or a bat flapping around. So you're the front man. Yeah, I sing that. and play bass in that. And is that they, something you've always had aspirations to doing? Uh, is that what? Is that something you've always had aspirations? No, to I do? never never thought of myself as being a, a singer or front man. Yes, because I mean, I, I I have you know. I have it in me, you know, but I never fancy myself as a real singer, you know. I just kind of jumped in and did it, you know. Mm. And Nick plays in that band as well, our guitar player in Waze. Um, no, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with writing lyrics more than anything. Like, I find that I'll, I'll um, write lyrics before the music a lot in this band. Yeah. And I think it, it really gives a sense of purpose that um, 
to build a song around that. So I've really been enjoying that because just I like writing, you know. So I've kind of come into my own with that. We got a new EP coming out. Um, I don't know. Ask me a question. I don't know what we're getting. It's basically just kind of again understanding of what what it was about. Like, is it something that you were like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put all my effort into it and just see where it goes. I wanted it to be like my old man band, like my Motorhead, you know, something that I could grow old doing, and that's that's the. I band. don't know if you literally just read my notes, but I did put it. Come to me, had like a Motorhead vibe to well, it. Well, you nailed it on the head. I mean, that's to me, that's the best band there ever was, you know, with the the biggest influence, even outside of music, just aesthetic, you know. And I, I, I base a lot is inspired uh, by Motorhead hmm. with with this band, and I, I don't know. I think it's just timeless music, Motorhead. You know, yeah. I, I'd like to think bad it would be, but. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, without trying to be some, like some other band, I mean, that's definitely the, uh, as close as it gets for me. mentioned it earlier on and you said you didn't really want to talk about it but I'll, I'll push it and you can tell me to fuck off if you don't want to the Donald, you t- spoke about the Donald Trump t-shirt and you got kind of brought back into like news because Kathy Griffin and that was funny as shit so yeah so people who don't know Kathy Griffin did a photo shoot where she had Donald Trump's head uh, decapitated and she basically her life has just been fucking rubbish since then I'm sure she's got a lot of like business out of it but she got a lot of backlash but she used well she should never have apologized that's the first thing she did wrong if you're an artist and a comedian you should stand by your art mm. you're not going to have a picture of him decapitated and they go oh no I didn't mean it like if, you, if she sucked to her guns maybe there'd be more respect for her I don't know but how weird was that with like, with, like CNN mentioning it's just so funny because it's their lawyer just reeling off like well, he didn't bother these guys. Like, yeah, come bother us. See what happens. You know, it's like you know, maybe he's just a pussy and he would rather attack a woman. I mean, mm. that's probably what it is. You know, you also got a backlash, like social media. Backlash. Yeah, but I don't read that stuff. I mean, I think we got more positive uh, feedback on that than, than uh, yeah, than bad. And if anything, it just weeded out the people that we don't want to be associated with. So when you when you did create that uh, T-shirt, did you know automatically like this is going to cause? No, no, no. It was like. Uh, didn't even think about it we were we were going to la and we had a show and you know phil and, and had the idea and we we um made a, like 50 of those shirts to go play la because that's when they first started talking about the wall we got a lot of mexican fans and friends you know and so we kind of did it for them hmm. it's like cool you know this is our statement here with the walls we only walls we build are walls of death you know and uh we made a few shirts and they were just gone like that and then you know went up on the internet it was said that he was going to sue us and all this like fake viral shit happened 
He probably just wants royalties. That's what he nah, wants. No, but it, it, it didn't, you know, and it just, if anything, it just helped us, you know? Yeah. It's the only good thing Donald Trump's ever done is paid the waste a little bit. Art plays a huge part in your teaching. Like, you're, I, I love your merch because you've got some great designs. Is that something that you do in-house? Like, do you have a guy that you go to? Well, we actually used to, um, Tony, our singer, used to work at a screen printing shop, so we would, we would print all our own designs early on. That's why he had such a volume of different shirt designs, like, right out of the gate. But, no, we, we have a place called Just Say Rock. It's just a regular merch company that prints them. A lot of the artists are our friends. We, we rotate, like, you know, ten different artists making stuff for us that, you know, that have worked with us since the get-go. It's never the same person, you know. We just try to keep fresh designs going. Simon Punishment came out in 2017. You mentioned that you're going to have an EP coming out soon. Yeah. Is that a Nuclear Blast? Or is that yes, yeah. yeah, it's a four-song EP. We haven't done an official press release for it, but, I mean talk about it a little bit but yeah it's not out yet so what, what i mean what is it just going to be i mean what's the vibe of it then is it just gonna it's really fun it's, it's kind of cool because it's like we're coming into our own as a five piece so it was actually really easy to write music and we just kind of busted it out right after the last record and um just waiting on artwork right now i should have the artwork today or tomorrow the music's all handed in you know just you, you start talking about these releases then people like get so eager when they're coming out it always takes longer than the production you know to make them come out than you think so I can't give you a date right now but you know just know that it's coming do you have titles like because a lot of bands I like can't give say it that yet. that's alright that, that's got to be a press release but as in like um, naming like do you spend a lot of time with naming or you just go yeah fuck it yeah call it that no like a lot of the like I'm I come up with song titles all the time and I just have a word bank of song titles now it gets distributed between all the bands so it's like like a whatsapp stuff. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's just fun I mean that's the fun part for me man well, I'm going to let you go, Ryan, because yeah. I feel like I've taken a lot of your time. Right on. And, uh, it's been Can I say something about Mike Davies? Yeah, oh yeah, you said yeah. Yeah, Mike, Mike's Mike Davies. Because yeah. I know the listeners know him. One of the funniest things that happened, we were in Mexico um, on the first Waste Tour. Uh, we were heading down to South America. And in Mexico, they do a lot of bootleg T-shirts. So we would go around outside the show and see what cool bootlegs I have. Because I just get enjoy it, you know. Maybe it gives you an idea for an actual shirt. So we had this one kid, and he had our... Our first album cover, which is our 7-inch, which is like the earliest art on the front. And I flipped over the back, and there was a band photo on the back. And it was me, Tony, Phil, and who they thought was Dave was Mike Davies. Because he kind of maybe looks like Dave. We took a photo at Redding and Leeds, and I guess that photo was on the internet. They had taken it off the internet thinking it was a band photo, but it's Mike Davies and me, Tony, and Phil on the back of the shirt. And I looked at the kid, I go, you got to give me one of those. Still my favorite shirt that I have. So Mike Davies on the back of a waist shirt. Have you given one to Mike? Does he know about this? Uh, I don't know if he ever saw it, but um, I just have the one copy. I'm not coming off of it. <laughs> so Mike's immortalized on the back of a waist shirt uh, as Dave Woody. Well, Mike, I'm sure you're royalties somewhere. <laughs> well, Ryan, thanks for your time, man. Yeah, of course. And, uh, man. I hope you feel better. And, uh, right on, best, man. man. Take you. it easy. Thank you to Ryan for giving up his time and talking to me, especially when he wasn't feeling so hot shit. He was a bit under the weather. Uh, so yeah, thank you to Ryan. Hopefully that EP he's talking about will be out soon. Uh, I haven't seen any news of it, but I mean, Ryan spoke about it, so hopefully it's out soon. A quick plug for a, uh, a new short film that's being made by a group of people called Punk Ethics. Uh, they have created a new campaign film called Punks Against Sweatshops with contributions from members of Crass, 
friend of the pod petrol girls wonk unit propagandy just to name a few it's uh it's basically what it sounds like it's a do- it's a short documentary about punks selling uh t-shirts and where those t-shirts come from and are we thinking ethically where we get our t-shirts from it looks like it's going to be a great film i'm hoping to talk to the guys who uh the guys and girls who created the movie at some point go to punks in pub socials to see the trailer or you can go and check out their own twitter handle i think it is just at punk ethics or look at actually in your bio of this podcast the episode bio there's a link in there click that link it'll take you straight to the trailer and you can then spread that far and wide to your friends and peers right that's it for this week go buy a t-shirt support the pod go tell four friends about the podcast and spread the word go rate and review on itunes and don't be a cunt playing out the show this week is a band from la they are called cc potato i don't know why they're called that maybe tweet them and ask them uh this is a track called no sense of direction i dig the band i think they're really good if cc potato are playing in an, in an area near you definitely go check them out right that's it if you go into a punk show and you see someone fall down you pick them right back up until next time bye bye She left on the eve of my birthday